Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Amen. That was good. So very good. Good morning. All right. I want to start this morning by giving thanks. Um, I want to give thanks to God because this week we have seen some wonderful, wonderful news concerning the unborn. I hope you've been following the news, but multiple states have begun to pass bills and uh, um, legislations that are protecting the unborn. Uh, I believe Missouri is about to have a bill signed at eight weeks is the, uh, the cutoff date. I know Alabama just signed. It says that children have a right to live. Um, I want to say this, though. This is a very, very contentious issue. And we as God's people have to be careful that in our, our desire to do right and our desire to defend the unborn, we do not demonize those who are opposed. Because here's the deal. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. We fight against the evil one. And so just be careful that as you converse about, about life, you speak life. But, and, you, and you don't do it in an unkind or an unholy way. Uh, this is not a fight that is, that is easily won. This is not a fight that's going to go away. Um, <clears throat> but I stand before you today to tell you that There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that the Word of God illustrates the heart of God when it comes to the the importance of the unborn child. And so uh, I know even in this room there are varying opinions on it. And my, 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 my hope for you is this, no matter how you sit on it, is to go back to God's Word and ask the question, what is most important in this issue? What is most important in this issue is that God said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. Not one single unborn child is unknown to God. And if an unborn child is, un, is known to God, that child must be important to God. And we should do everything we can to help them have life. Now, again, there's, there's, all, kinds of, there's all kinds of issues that come out of that. And I understand that. But at the end of the day, every culture who takes the life of children is a culture that is a desolate culture. You can go back in history. Look, any time a culture has ended the life of children, whether they're born or unborn, God has had, God has had very, very strong things to say. And, and they, felt, they felt his wrath. I think you can go back and look at history and see that. Um, the good news is, as God's people, we're people of life. And so let's just be consistent and let's be thankful, but also let's be kind. Let's be kind. Here's what made me think of this. I, I had somebody in my office this week, a church member, who said, Jeff, about 30 or 40 years ago, she, she told me how long, I just can't remember. She said, I was, I was not a believer. And... I had a child, and I became pregnant from my boyfriend. Actually, 
she didn't know who the father was because I specifically asked that. Uh, she said, I became pregnant and I didn't think I had any other choice. And so I went and I aborted the baby. She said she actually brought her child with her to the abortion clinic and her child, her three-year-old, sat in the waiting room while she went back and had the procedure. She said that there hasn't been a day that has gone by that she has not mourned the loss of her child. She said, if anybody tells you that it doesn't affect the women, they're not telling you the truth. She said, it's impossible. It's impossible to not have it affect you. So if somebody uses the argument, you don't care about women if you care about protecting the unborn, I'll tell you that is categorically false. I do care about women. I do care about all women, the ones who were born and the ones who were unborn. And so I hope you'll join with me in praying about this issue, and I hope you'll join with me in staying out of the political sphere and making this a God issue. Because it is not a political issue. It is a God issue. He cares about the unborn. Amen. Be kind. You don't do any favors to anybody if you're ugly in the process. So, uh, and, and I'm, I'm looking in the mirror on this, okay? It's easy to get outside of the kindness, okay? Kind doesn't equal weak. Kind is compassionate. That's, that's, what, that's what, uh, what it says. So if you want to talk about this, I would love to talk to you about it. If you have some questions, I had somebody ask me the, just literally two days ago. They said, um, they said, so tell me about this situation. I'm all for it, but what about this situation? I'm really struggling. And we talked about it. She goes, oh, well, that makes sense. So, all right. <clears throat> so um, let's take a moment. Let's pray. And let's just pray that God would give us wisdom and give us his grace and also give us... Um, Give us understanding in the times we live. Father, I thank you for this day. And I know that um, this is such a difficult issue for, for our culture. But I pray, Father, that as your people, we would stand for the life of the unborn. I pray, God, that we wouldn't just stand for the unborn. I pray that we would stand for those who are currently born. Pray for, I, I pray, God, we would stand for those who are uh, persecuted. I pray we would stand for those who are, who are finding injustice, no matter in what area of life. I pray, God, that we would stand with those who are poor, and I pray that we would stand with those who are abused. Father, I pray that as your people, we would stand for the things that are close to your heart. And you have clearly said, he who gives to the poor lends unto the Lord. Lord, your very purpose was to come for the marginalized and the rejected and the abused. And so, God, I pray that as your people, we would do this consistently in every area of our life. And God's people said, amen. amen. All right. So if you will, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Um, I'm, this is the last message in my series on boundaries. And uh, it's a little bit different kind of message that I normally preach and that uh, this one is insanely practical. So uh, I'm not Dr. Phil here. I'm just trying to put legs and arms to a principle that I hope we've developed over the last couple of weeks. Because sometimes I find that we can, we can spend all of our time in philosophy or, or theology and we can know what God's word says, but then we can go, okay, well, that's great what it says and I believe that, but now how do I do it? What do I do? And so I want to very quickly today lay out a, 
just a base pattern that you can you can follow, or or, or a base that you can say, okay, I can do this because I promise you this: if you will do what I say to do this morning, your life will be radically better, radically different, radically less chaotic, and you'll feel far more in control of your life than perhaps you have or you did when you came in the, the door. Is that a pretty good uh, pretty good offer? That's a big offer. How many of you would like for your life to be less chaotic? Anybody? How would you like to feel more in control of your life? Would you, that be okay? You say, well, wait a minute. God is supposed to be in control. Absolutely. But he gave you as the responsibility of being the steward of, of your life. So being in control is not a bad thing as long as your control is the little C and God's control is the big C, right? Because being a steward means that you steward, you uh, manage that which God has given you. But here's what I think happens. So many of us live our lives trying to catch up and, and, and behind the eight ball rather than being in front of it. You know what I'm talking about, right? So many of us, we get home, we go, oh, I got nothing left, right? So many of us, our world is spinning so fast. It's, it's like we're running, 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 but our legs cannot go fast enough to keep us uh, going where we need to go. And I think that this is the answer, or at least it's a big part of the answer. And it has to do with setting and keeping boundaries. So let me, just, let me just start by saying that boundaries were God's idea in the beginning. In Psalm 74, 17, let me just read it for you. The Bible says, you have established all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So God started by making physical boundaries. Now, I've told you before, and you've, you know this, that we're not just physical beings. We are, we are three parts in one. We are, we are a reflection of a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, right? We are physical, we are emotional, and we are spiritual. And you can't mess with one without messing with the other, amen? If, if there's something wrong with your body, it's going to affect you spiritually. And if there's something wrong with your mind, it's going to affect you physically, all three are tied together. And so God says, look, in the creation of the universe, in the creation of, 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 of um, the things on earth, I am going to define what goes where and how things are done. So he set boundaries for the physical. In Genesis, if you, uh, if you were to look there, let me just read it for you real quick. By the way, I made this statement on our podcast the other day. I don't know if you listened to those, but we're having a heck of a fun time doing it. Um, it's, it's called messy Christianity and, and Brent and Kevin and I, we, we talk for about 30 minutes about, we take a question and we just dissect it based on how we see the world and, and what we feel like God's word says about it. And one of the things that I've mentioned before is this, everything, every issue of life is dealt with in Genesis one through 11. You ever thought of that? Genesis one through 11 deals with every single issue of life. It at least gives us, it gives us a foundation for every issue. The answer comes through Jesus, but all the, 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 the conversation starts there. Go back and look at that. So this is what Genesis 1 says. Um, uh, in verse 3, it says, God said, let there be light. God saw the light was good and separated. See there? He separated the light from the darkness. What did he do? He made a boundary. And uh, verse 6, and God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. And so God made the vault and separated under the vault, uh, the water under the vault from the water above. What was that? 
That was the boundary. Verse 9, let the water under the sky be gathered in one place and let dry ground appear. What did he do? He separated. He said, this is the ocean. This is the land. This is the sky. This is the earth. This is light. This is dark. And he continued to do that all through creation. So God set boundaries physically, but then he also set boundaries um, relationally. He gave Adam and Eve, he gave them together, and he said, look, what I've joined together, let no man separate. And then if you continue on through God's word, what you'll find is God said the way you're supposed to treat other people is, is this way. We know this because the Ten Commandments is about what? The first four is about honoring who? And loving God. And the last six are about what? Loving each other. What were the Ten Commandments? They were boundaries. They were lines. They were they were. To tell us how far we can go and how, how, uh, what we're responsible for and who we're responsible to. So God clearly gave us all of these boundaries. And, and, after, and so he gives us bound, physical boundaries. He gives us relationship boundaries. He gives us righteous boundaries or moral boundaries. He says you can do this, but you can't do this. And so that's kind of the pattern of God. Not kind of. It is the pattern of God. And then God did something. He gave that same power of setting and defi- of defining and, and communicating boundaries to you and to me. He said, in this earth, I want you to be like me. I want you to act like me. I want you to set boundaries, and I want you to keep boundaries. That's why, as we are uh, uh, a voice to to the nations of the goodness of God, what we're really doing is we're defining his boundaries, right? As you share the gospel, you're saying this is what God made and this is, this is how far God said to go. So the most powerful thing that he gave us or one of the most powerful things he gave us is found in two words. Two words. You may not know this, but two words are some of the most, if not the most powerful words you have ever been given, and unfortunately, many of us in this room, we don't use them the way God gave them for us to use. The words, yes and no. Many of us in this room don't understand the word yes or the word no. We normally say, okay, all right. I guess, but we're afraid of the word yes. And, and the word no, we're really, really, not everybody, some are real good at it, but many people, if not most people, are not so good at it. It's, I don't think so, maybe, or silence. I have a friend who you know when their answer is no because they just disappear. How many of y'all are like that? Let me see your... I knew it. I knew it by the way you were talking. I knew it. You can't say no, and so you just kind of... And then after enough time, you kind of peek out and you go, are you still there? And you're hoping that whatever it is you were asked to do or whatever you were... you're, You're hoping that enough time has passed that it's just like a moot point at that point, right? But here's the deal. The word yes and the word no is a power. And it's a gift God has given you. Why? Because yes and no is your boundary 
definition. You get to define who you are by your yes and by your no. You define what you love and what you don't love by your yes and by your no. Now, let's go to the scripture. In Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, I'm a little excited this morning. In Matthew chapter, by the way, I got to tell you this, this is funny. So Joshua uh, is fishing the Optimus Club fishing rodeo. And um, he's the only one. So so he fished all day yesterday and... (laughs) He caught, a, he caught a ladyfish. He actually caught a bunch of ladyfish. Now, you know what a ladyfish is? Ladyfish is a junk fish. Nothing likes a ladyfish except sharks, right? So you catch ladyfish just because of the fun of it. You don't ever catch ladyfish because you're thinking, let's have a fish fry, okay? So he calls me. He says, Dad, guess what? Because I, I, he was out in the boat, and I told him, I said, go weigh your fish in, and then I'll come meet you, and we'll load the boat, and we can go. He said, Dad, guess what? I go, what? He goes, I'm number one on ladyfish. (laughs) I said, really? How number one are you? He's like, I'm like 0.6 ounces ahead of everybody else. (laughs) And my thought is this. This boy's going to win $100 for a trash fish. I'm okay with that. Here's what's even better. The number one spots all get into a drawing for a $1,000 prize. Let me tell you, if that boy wins $1,000 for a ladyfish, I'm going to start ladyfish fishing. Because I don't know why I told you that. It just popped in my head, and I thought it was a good story. Oh, yeah, that's why I'm so excited. So, all right, so oh, he's also ahead for the Spanish mackerel. So he's in two first spots. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 33 says this. This is Jesus speaking. You know how we know? (laughs) Yeah, it's in red. (laughs) Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord your vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or, or either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. That's your children's job. Verse 37. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That last verse, verse 37. You have heard it said this way because you probably grew up on the King James like me. Um, Let your... Yes be yes, and your no be no. Here's what was going on here. Jesus was teaching this on what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And as he was teaching this, he was, he was, trying, to, to, uh, he was trying to help the people who were listening understand uh, the nature and the character of God. And he was trying to, trying to set some things straight because their lifestyle didn't match what God had intended for them when it comes to heart issues. So... He said, look, don't, don't make an oath. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear on your own head because these things are bigger than you. And, and he was addressing a problem that had arisen. There were very specific rules in the Old Testament given to God's people by which they could, this could swear an oath. It had to do with when they could do it and how they could do it. But throughout the years, they became oath 
swearers. Everything became an oath. I promise you on my mother's grave that I'm going to come back and I'm going to buy this hamburger at 3 o'clock today. I mean, literally, that's a silly way to put it, but, but they, were, they were making oaths on everything, and so essentially their word meant nothing. Essentially, they were, they were, they, they were making oaths that they may or may not fulfill, and, and Jesus said, look, you don't need to do that. Just say yes and mean it, and just say no and mean it. Here's one of the greatest things you could ever do for yourself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Children, it is hard. It is hard. And we're about to talk about why. But, but children are the great uh, manipulators when it comes to yes and no, right? And the thing with children is this. When you say yes... If you don't hold to your yes, or when you say no, if you don't hold to your no, they will get in there and they will learn, all I got to do is come through this little crack in their armor and I can get what I want. That's why kids in the grocery store lay down and start pitching a fit. I've always thought that if that happens, I'm just going to lay down and pitch a fit with them. Why not? They'll look over and go... Are you crazy? Don't you know how embarrassing you look? I said, yeah, don't you know how embarrassing you look? But, but kids are real good about that, aren't they? But adults are even better. Some of y'all may not have mothers who, who are still with us. But some of you might have had mothers when they were here who knew how to get you to do whatever they wanted you to do. Right? Some of you had fathers who could do that. Some of you had neighbors or have neighbors who can do that. Friends, relatives. See, it's that, it's that relational, honestly, it's a relational dysfunction that causes you not to, no, not that causes you, that leads you to not hold to your yes or to your no. So what are some of the reasons that we say yes? Well, the first one I just mentioned, manipulation. There are times when we say yes to things we shouldn't say yes to because we are manipulated into saying yes. You know what manipulation is? It's evil. Amen? Manipulation is ungodly. Why? Because manipulation is a total lack of love by the manipulator to the manipulated. If you manipulate somebody, that means you twist them into doing something that they don't want to do, and you are not loving them if you do that. Amen? How many of you have ever felt manipulated? You know what manipulation leads to? Resentment. Bitterness. It, it leads to anger. When you're manipulated into something... What you're doing is you are saying yes to something that you didn't want to say yes to. Or you wanted to say yes to, but now it's not your yes. It's their yes that is spoken for you. And that is not what God has intended for you. Let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. We say yes too many times because we're manipulated. We also say yes too many times because we're afraid. If I don't, then this will happen. And yes, out of fear is equally 
as unhealthy. Because your yes isn't really because you want to or because you need to. Your yes is because you feel like you don't have any other choice. We also say yes. I had to write these down so I didn't forget them. We also say yes because of expectations of others. They don't manipulate us, but we think that what they want is for us to say yes, and so we do it because we don't want to let them down because we think that if we don't say yes, we'll hurt their feelings or make them mad. How many of y'all have ever been guilty of this? Don't raise it real high, just kind of, sort of, right? (laughs) Saying yes because of somebody else's expectations is giving away your authority and your power and your right over you. Now, Am I, am, am I saying that you should never say yes because there's an expectation? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that their expectation shouldn't be what makes you say yes. You should say, ye- you should say yes because it's your yes and it happens to fill the expectation. So many times there are unrealistic realistic expectations and we say yes to things and it causes us, again, to be angry to be bitter, or to be wore out. Have you ever had somebody say, or have you ever said, man, I'm just going like crazy. You ever said that? Now, there are some legitimate reasons to say that. But if it's because you've been manipulated, or if it's because you've been afraid, or if it's because you feel like you can't let somebody else down, it's not a good place. What about reputation? I'm going to say yes to that because of my reputation. I want you to think about this one. Are you worried about what other people might say about you or might think about you so you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing or don't want to do? I'm going to go to that meeting. I'm going to be a part of that club because if I don't, they might think that I'm not loyal. They might think that I don't care. Guess what, folks? They're going to think anyways, right? How many of you are old enough to realize that they're going to think what they're going to think? They don't think what you think they think. They think what they want to think based on how they want to think. You think? Right? Is it right? And here's the the crazy part. They can think good thinks until they decide not to think that way. And you have no choice in the matter. And all it takes is one moment. For everything to say. So why would you live your life for someone else when at the end of the day they're going to do what they want to do and think what they want to think anyways? Why give control of your life away like that? Here's another one. We say yes because we feel sorry out of sympathy. Oh, I feel so bad for them, so I'm going to do this. Oh, I feel so bad because they've been spending hours and hours and hours uh, painting their living room, so I'm going to come and paint. I mean, I'm not saying personal stuff. I'm just saying, I mean, you know. Yeah, don't feel sorry for me whatsoever. I will tell you this. This morning, oh my gosh, 9.52. We're going to go a little long. I will tell you this. This morning, I woke up at 8 o'clock. Actually, it was 7.56. We have an 8 o'clock meeting every Sunday morning. So I, I text and I go, I'm not going to be there. Y'all meet without me. Didn't hear the alarm at all. Here's the thing. We, it may be a good thing that we want to do, but just because we feel sorry for somebody doesn't mean that it's now our responsibility because we can't and shouldn't fix everything. Here's one more, and I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to tell you what it is because it's self-explanatory. We say yes because 
Well, nobody else is going to do it. Now, is there anybody in this room who's been a yes person based on any of those reasons? Let's be honest, right? Why do we say no? Well, we say no because we're afraid. We say no because it costs too much. We say no because we have bad relationships. But yes and no are yours and yours alone to give. So how did Jesus do this thing? Do you know that Jesus said no quite a bit? Let me tell you, in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35 and 38, the whole crowd, uh, Jesus, Jesus uh, woke up and, and, and the, uh, uh, I better read it. Matthew 1, verse 35 through 38. They wanted Jesus, yeah, Mark, thank you. Mark 1, 35 to 38. They wanted Jesus to feed them again. He had just fed 5,000. And they basically showed up and said, hey, um, we're, we're hungry again. Look, uh, look at Mark 1, verse 35 and 30, through 38. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, what? Everyone is looking for you. What they were really saying was, hey, everybody's looking for you because they're hungry again. They ate last night really good, and they want a buffet again today. And so Jesus replied, verse 38, let us go somewhere else. What did he do? He just said, no, I'm not going back there. He said, I got to go somewhere else so I can preach somewhere else also. That is why I have come. This is the key to us saying yes and no. That is why I come. Just put that in the back of your head. Our yes and our no has to have a reason. There has to have an intentionality to it, and that's the reason. So Jesus said no to them. I'm not going to feed. I'm going to go somewhere else. In um, uh, Luke 12, uh, verses 13 through 15, you have the story of, of, of uh, one guy saying to Jesus, hey, command my, command my friend to, or command my brother to split my inherit, the inheritance among me. He wanted Jesus to be the arbiter between the two brothers. And what did Jesus say? He goes, nope, I don't have anything to do with that. Now, Jesus is the judge of the earth, right? And he's the righteous judge of the earth. And he alone had the ability to discern in that moment what was best for everybody. But instead, he said, nope, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. He said, but I do want to warn you, be careful of the greed in your heart. But I'm not going to make a decision. My answer to you, I'm not, is no. I'm not going to tell your brother what to do. And then uh, another one in um, John 6, verse 26 through 27. Um, they're, they're, uh, the, the, and I actually got it a little bit confused. This is where there was the feeding of the 5,000 beforehand. They were basically looking, saying, hey, we're hungry again. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to feed you again because I'm, I don't want to be known as the great feed, uh, feed guy. All of these... All of these no's were beca was because he said yes. Here's, here's the truth, okay? Every time you say yes, you say no. And every time you say no, you say yes. You know, does that make sense? So yes. 
Here's what it means. I said yes to a blue pinstripe suit today. It looks good, doesn't it? Thank you. And by saying yes to a blue suit, I said no to my black suit. I said no to my gray suit. And I said no to my sport coat. Today, I said no to a tie. And I said yes to a cooler morning preaching. And a little more comfortable feeling around my neck. That's what I mean. Every time you say yes, you're actually saying no. And every time you say no, you're also saying yes. Because you can't be at two places at one time. You can't do two things in the same moment. There's only so much of you. And if you give yourself over here, you cannot give yourself over there at the same time. How it works out in in relationships and family and, and, and things is like this. When you say yes to everybody else, you're saying no to the, to the health of yourself. And eventually, you can't help anybody else because there's no more of you left to be a helper, right? When you say yes to doing something for somebody else, you've given them your time. So you've said no to other things. And here's the problem. Okay, come back, circle with me here. When we say yes to people... Because we've been manipulated, because we feel guilty, because we have other expectations, because we're, we're, we're sympathetic, or because nobody else will do it. We're going to say yes to things at the detriment of things that are better and more important, more profitable, more valuable, or better yet, that fit into the reason that we exist. And therein lies the truth. Your yes and your no are tied to your purpose. If you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this. Every time Jesus said yes, it was specifically because he knew his purpose. He knew why he was there. No, I cannot feed the crowd again because my purpose is to proclaim the kingdom of heaven and I don't want to be known as a chef. I want to be known as a savior. No, I cannot heal anymore because there are other towns that need me. And I don't want to be known as just the guy that is the Capernaum guy. I want to be known as the son of God. His yes was always tied to his purpose. He healed a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. He healed the centurion's son. When the centurion woman came and... Or the centurion. When the Samaritan woman came and said... Um, would you heal my, would you heal my daughter? He goes, well, well, I've come for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. And he goes, yes, but even the dogs eat the scraps that come. He knew his purpose so very clearly. Question, do you know your purpose? Do you know your purpose? You know, you guys right here are so young. You're, you're... (laughs) You're going to scoot over. Roger, you can't. Can I just talk to you three for a moment? Y'all just listen. God has such, such a good plan for you. Such a good plan. If you look to your right and your left, we've, we've, all, we've all spent most of our life. And many of us have spent our life just kind of just wandering through, you know? I mean, we, it's not like we wound up in a bad place. It's just that... Some things in our life wasn't quite the way we hoped. 
But here's the thing. You have the opportunity now to hone in on your purpose. And here's what God said. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You are, you are so loved. And you are so cherished by God. The God who set the foundations of the earth in place. He knows you. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows your, he, he knows your, your tendencies. He, he even knows the things that bring you great joy. Because you want to know what? He put those in you. And today, I'm asking you to find out why God has given you life. And then start saying yes to those things. And here's what's really cool. The Bible says that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, right? I believe it's, is that Hebrews? I think so. And that means, that's a picture of, of, of us inside this Colosseum. And the, the, the surrounding cloud of witnesses are those who've gone before. And, and, and they've, done, they've done what God is calling us to do. And so they're, they're going. These people around you, that's what they're doing for you. Now, you don't normally come to church so that the preacher just says, hey, y'all forget it. Let me. But here's the thing. The, nothing, nothing would make us more excited than for you to find your absolute God-given purpose and start saying yes and start saying no based on why he's given you breath. Amen? Isn't that true? So what was Jesus' purpose? John six thirty-eight. his purpose was to do his Father's will. I've come to do the will of my Father. In uh, Luke 4, 18 and 19, he's, this is the verse I referenced earlier. I can't just paraphrase this one. This is way too good. Luke 4. If you're looking at your watch, I promise we're almost done. Luke 4, 18 through, and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. He has purposed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed or the captives free and to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll and did a drop mic. That's what he did. Amazing, isn't it? If y'all don't know what a drop mic is, just Google it. You'll find Or just go home and say, Alexa, what's a drop mic? Yeah, I know that you do that, right? He knew his purpose um, in, in Mark 10, 45, his, his purpose was he, he knew was to give his life as a ransom. In John 12, 24 through 27, he knew his purpose was to die. In Luke 19, 9 through 10, his purpose was to seek and to save that which was lost. Church, this is the bottom line. Your yes needs to be yes because it's your yes. Your no needs to be no without guilt and without reservation because it is your no. And you say yes and you say no because you know your purpose. And your purpose is not to be all things to all people. 
Paul says that, but that's not what he means. You can't save anybody. You can't fix anybody. You can't even rescue anybody. You can only be used by God in those instances to be his mouthpiece and his feet. But the responsibility is not yours. Amen? We got to go. Find your purpose. I think somebody in here might be saying, you know what? I don't have a purpose. You have a purpose. If you have breath, you have a purpose. It may just be for those who are young. It may, it may just be encouragement. It may just be prayer. Just be, right? You know, David Brainerd died before he was 30 years old. You know who David Brainerd is? I was just listening to this the other day or reading about it. David Brainerd, when, when, when they went into his house, they found grooves in the wood on his floor in his bedroom. And the grooves matched perfectly where his knees would hit the ground. I think he was 26 or 28 when he died. But his life has been a testimony for thousands and thousands of believers of what it means to be faithful to God. He did more in his 28 years of life than many of us do in our hundred years of life. And all he did was pray. What's your purpose? Can we pray? Father in heaven, you are a good and gracious God. We, God, we worship you. Father, I pray that today you would help us find our purpose. And Lord, let it not be a purpose that is given by man. Let it not be a purpose that's given by, by the world. Let it be a purpose that's from your mouth and from your heart. And Lord, I pray that this holy purpose would be the thing that drives us each and every day to say yes and no. Lord, I pray that you take all of these words that I said today. Take away the words that were mine and and only let us remember the words that were yours. Change us for your name's sake. The name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, if you're here and you've not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, there is a God who loves you passionately and who says, I've come that you might have life. Life because you and I are dead in sin until Jesus Christ forgives us of that sin. So this morning, if you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that. This morning, if you don't know your purpose, right where you are, I want you to start. I want you to ask God. If you, if you need some help praying about that, there's a prayer card. I want you just to write, hey, I need to find my purpose. And we pray every single week as a staff for whatever's written on those cards. Let's do this. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way, thou art the part.
after thy will while I am waiting yielded and still God's people said Amen. Amen. Hey, there's a song um, I can't remember who sings it now maybe Zach Williams but it's called Church Take Me Back You heard it? Isn't that a great song? We're doing that over at Story Point here, and, and I was listening to it this morning just to remind myself how it goes. And it's cool because what it says is, you know what? I left church because I was hurt, and then I tried to fill the, the relationships somewhere else, and I realized that I had something there that I, that, that, I, that I didn't realize I had. I had people who cared about me, who loved me, who got into my life, and who made my life better. And so the people next to you, are the heroes of this church. They're the ones who love you, and they're the ones who are there. Now look, we don't always make that, we don't always do it perfect, and we certainly don't always get it right all the time. But I can promise you, there's no better people on planet to do life with than the people next to you. Amen? So invest your life in them, and let them invest their life in you. And that's the way God made it. Let's pray together. Father, you are good and gracious God. We worship you, we thank you, I pray that today you'd help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Go with us now in Jesus' name.